0: Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID 19 crisis and beyond.
1: Hi, I'm Shea Buglani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm delighted to welcome Bunny Elren, who's the director of the Healthcare Management Program at Columbia Business School and co founder of New York City Health Business Leaders. But those titles really don't capture the magnitude of the influence that Bunny has had as a driver of innovation in healthcare in New York and beyond. In fact, Bunny is known as the most connected person in healthcare, and she's played an important role even in the success of osmosis in the few months I've known her. I wanted to give a shout out to the godfather of osmosis and founder of Medscape, Peter Frischoff, who first connected Bunny and me, as well as the fact that Bunny gave us a connection to former Raise guest, Dr. Joe Habush at MDCalc, and osmosis now actually has a grant from the MDCalc team. And so for those reasons, we actually call Bunny the nice aunt of osmosis. So Bunny, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today.
0: It's great to be here and I love being the aunt of osmosis. Do you want to see the mug? Yes, like uh we got (laughs) it. This is the mug that you guys sent me and it I just love it. One, it's great to drink coffee out of, but two, it just says so much about your organization. So thank you.
1: So, Bunny, one other connection we share is I was um I attended Harvard Business School like you did. And while I was there, I went to a lot of events from the HBS Healthcare Association. And you actually, when you were in business school there, you started the Healthcare Alumni Association. Can you tell us a bit more about kind of your experience at HBS and how you got into healthcare in the first place?
0: Sure. So how I got into healthcare literally was by accident. Um, I was running, I had an injury, and I went to physical therapy. And I loved it. I loved the fact that you could go in broken and come out home. And as is my way, I just started talking to the owners of the practice. It was small and one thing led to another. They brought me on as their marketing director. And then ultimately I, I ended up managing their practice. And what I learned from that was that healthcare was broken in many ways, or that healthcare at least needed a lot of management talent, a lot more than it had. And so. You know, I applied to HBS and I knew going in that I wanted to stay in healthcare. Um, and so that's what I've done for the past 25 years. In fact, my reunion is coming up in October. Sadly, we won't be able to do it on campus, but I think they're organizing something. But I've been in healthcare the whole time. In terms of the HBS Healthcare Alumni Association, I actually started it two years after I graduated, or that's when the idea came to me. And it came to me because at HBS, at that time, healthcare wasn't on the agenda. It just wasn't something that people were interested in. And this was 1995. And, you know, there were a small number of us who were interested in healthcare. So in order to get a job, I had to look through the alumni database. And that's when I saw the richness of the, you know, of the healthcare alumni, in every single sector of healthcare, there were leaders from HBS. And I thought, you know, this is silly that we don't connect. And so that's what sort of motivated me to start this Alumni Association. There were many trials and tribulations in doing that that one had to overcome. Alumni Relations looked at me, you know, like they laughed. They said, who would ever join this thing? Who's in healthcare? So, you know, I cajoled and I pushed, and lo and behold, 20 years later, it's it's the one of the largest um, associations at HBS, and it's certainly the largest non-geographic. So there is a lot of healthcare at, at HBS.
1: Yeah, even when I was attending, I was impressed. One reason I chose to go to HBS versus other business schools was because how strong it seemed, the healthcare group, and in particular their dedicated courses, as well as companies that aggressively kind of or earnestly recruit from HPS, like Davida. A lot of my section mates went over to the dialysis company. And so, what are some like the most unique interactions you've had? I know you recently hosted a, a conversation with one of your section mates, who is uh, the CEO of Honeywell, about how they w- worked on. Uh, Transitioning Honeywell to create personal protective equipment to, as we say, raise the line and increase healthcare capacity. So I'd love to hear more about that, as well as other interactions you've had through the alumni association that have kind of stood out.
0: Sure. I mean, I've met so many amazing people over the years. I mean, it's just incredible. But you mentioned Devita. So Kent Theory was the CEO of Devita, and Kent was a major HBS alum. I worked for Kent in the mid '90s in another company called Vivra and like 14 years later or whatever. So there's an award that they named after me at the, it's called the, you know, the LRN Alumni Association Award, which is cool, you know. Um, And I got to give it to Kent. So, and it was so, that night was, I will always remember because when I met Kent, it was in the mid 90s, it was late 90s. And I distinctly remember we were on a retreat and you know, I was young, new to the organization. You know, and I sidled up to Kent, I'm like, hey, Kent, what do you think about if we had a healthcare alumni association at HBS? And for those who know Kent, (laughs) he just looked at me with this face, like, why? What's the point? So when I got to give him the award 14 years later, I got to tell him, well, there were like 200 people in the room and his wife was sitting there. I'm like, Kent, it took me 14 years. Here's the point. So that was a lot of fun and just many of the folks I've met along the way. But you mentioned my section mate, Darius Adamchuk. I sat next to him at HBS. You know, it's the HBS gods. They figure out who to put in each section and then where to put you, right? And I sat next to this guy, you know, he was an engineer always just, you know, very, very nice person. We became friends and then lo and behold... 20 years later, he becomes the CEO of a Fortune 100 company called Honeywell. You just never know where people are going to end up. And so in my current role at Columbia Business School, where I deal with a lot of students, one of the things I always tell them is absolutely don't dismiss anybody. Get to know everyone in your cluster. And you would be doing yourself a disservice if you weren't open to meeting and connecting with everyone. And so when I got to interview Darius a few weeks ago, it was tremendous because to be honest, I was so impressed with his leadership. I mean, I tease him all the time and I won't let him know that. (laughs) But I was incredibly impressed with the kind of leader he is and also what they did. I mean, in terms of addressing COVID, in terms of retrofitting some stuff, and also just not only the PPE, they've done a lot of other, there are a lot of other things that they've been doing, but more so, you know, he talked about what it was like to lead and certainly lead during a crisis. And also he talked about ethics and his philosophy in the company against racism, right? And the fact that he would never tolerate that. And and he brought that up. So you know, and frankly, I've connected with people at Lahani, well, not, not a ton, but, and it's very true that I always get that impression. So it was, that was one of the, it was really fun to do that.
1: I love what you said earlier about treating everyone well. Uh, in fact, whenever somebody joins osmosis, we ask them to go through a relationship building workshop, which is all about the first question you should ask when you meet somebody is how can you add value to their life? Uh, How can you make them happier? And one of our core six values is spread joy. And it's true because, you know, a lot of these relationships, you'll never know where life will take you. And so even the way we got connected, I mentioned Peter. But even before Peter, I read a New York Times article about this professor at UCSF who was doing Wikipedia editing as an elective for UCSF med students. And I randomly emailed him. And we had a call when he was at a conference in South Carolina. His name is Amin Azam. And he's become a very close friend and a teammate at osmosis. But he, you know, got to know Peter and he was the one who tipped Peter off to what we're doing at osmosis. This was five, six years ago. So there's a direct relationship between me reading a a New York Times article and reaching out to that person, to Peter, to you. And that's sort of, I think, a good lesson for anyone in healthcare because, uh, or anyone in general, but in healthcare, I think the power of social interaction is, it's not talked about as much as like in business school. However, it makes a big difference if you are a clinician who treats everyone around you with, with care and respect. So one theme that runs through your career is networking and relationship building, obviously with the HBS Alumni Association that we talked about, but then also starting the New York City Health Business Leaders. Is that sort of a similar story where you were in New York, you realized that there's so much healthcare talent, you wanted to bring them together, or can you talk a bit more about that organization and what you all focus on and do there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It is a theme that runs throughout my life in terms of connecting people and networking. And I often sort of, um, with the term networking, I get it, you know, that's how people describe it. But to me, that's so transactional. And I consider what I've done, community relationship building. And I love that you have this, the training about how can I help you, right? Right. That is 100% perfect, because I've always believed that in order for all of us to succeed, we need to help each other, right? Um, and so, in terms of New York, my co-founder is a doctor, Dr. Ho, and she was emergency medicine doctor, but also went to HBS, and she was involved in businesses in New York, including her own. So. We met through the HBS network initially, and she and I were lamenting that New York is full of healthcare. Look at all of the, the top systems that we have, the most amazing doctors. At the time, I was in media, healthcare media. New York City is absolutely the healthcare advertising and journal and publishing capital of the world, but it also has pharma in and around it. And now today it's got a ton of biotech. There was just so much richness that was being overlooked. And we felt that there was a need to bring the community together because we wanted to, I think it was a little bit selfish actually. We were missing being around smart people who really cared about healthcare and were passionate and wanted to learn. About what was new, what were the trends? Because to anybody who's been in healthcare for as long as I've been, you know, healthcare has been changing or healthcare has been on the precipice of revolution for 25 years. So at any point in time, there are many things that can be improved in healthcare. And that time was no different. So we wanted to bring people together and see how we could expedite that and also showcase New York as a place where innovation happens. At the time, the digital health community was very small. However, and Peter Frischoff was one of the first people who embraced our idea, as you would expect, because Peter is such a visionary. And when we told him, he just loved it. He was like the champion in the beginning of, you know, since he was the founder of Medscape, he was, you know, healthcare 1.0, right? Or digital healthcare 1.0 in New York. When we started New York City Health Business Leaders, there were a handful of digital health companies. And 10 years later, Ing and I did a retrospective in December about we celebrated our 10th anniversary. And we showed this page of all the digital, or um, like even a portion of the digital health companies. There are hundreds of companies now in New York. And when you look at the biotech ecosystem, there was nothing, virtually nothing, in maybe one or two, 10 years ago. And now there's at least 100, if not more. So what we've done over the past 10 years, we've been part of that. You know, we've been, we're certainly not the, the the only reason, but you know, we've been part of it. And what we did is connect people. Number one, you build a community, exactly what you said before, Shiv, which is, how can you be helpful to somebody else? And and then they'll want to be helpful to you. So basically what we, you know, it's, we've had many events with a lot of thought leadership. We publish an annual report on the venture capital or the innovation environment in New York city. We bring people, well, when we were able to have live events, we brought people together and they love them because there's networking, which is critical. In order for people to connect, they need to have a a way to connect. And it's not really transactional. So people like to come to our events because they're nice. We're fun. (laughs) People have a good time. It's not just about, you know, handing out a business card. And then we always have a a panel or a discussion. And we try very hard to make it good information, quality information, not a commercial. Um, And then we have more networking. And through that, so many different things had happened. You know, there are people have hired each other, right, for companies. Their funding has been, you know, distributed by people who met their board seats. One company, which is now very successful early on, told us they came to an event. And as a result of what they learned, they actually pivoted, they changed their business model. So that was kind of exciting. So Basically, in a nutshell, uh, it's about building a community and making sure that everyone in the community can benefit from each other. And so my advice always to people is don't just email somebody and ask how they can help you. Offer them something first, tell them something, you know, what you like about what they have to say, and then go from there
1: totally you know I, I know you probably get cold called quite a bit or at least random linkedin invitations coming your way given your role connecting people in the community and i do too and i definitely notice that the people who are you know they've read something we've done or they have an idea of how to improve osmosis i'll absolutely kind of take the time they took the time to personalize their message i'll take mm-hmm. the time to reply whereas there are a lot of other people who are just kind of very clearly cold calling So, you've seen a lot of change over the past 20, 25 years, but probably not much could compare to this past six months of change. You also are based in New York, as we talked about. I'd love to hear kind of your take on what it's been like for you personally in New York during the COVID crisis. And then, what do you see as being some of the lasting changes that are going to come out of this for healthcare?
0: So, being in New York obviously was devastating for so many people. Personally, I live in Park Slope in Brooklyn and camped out here. I lived near a hospital, so saw a little bit of it, but other parts of Brooklyn were very heavily affected. Manhattan and Queens was very heavily affected. You know, your life changed overnight. Before that, you were going on the subway to work or wherever, and then you're not. You're not on the subway. You're not in your, your environment. So from my perspective, the response here from the frontline workers, but also from the business community was really inspiring. And I still can't believe just how much that many endured as well as how much they gave. So within the healthcare business community, which you know we are very um, privy to What we did with New York City Health Business Leaders when COVID hit, first of all, you know, we do live events. We're all about connection. And so here comes COVID and you're not allowed to go outside. You're not allowed to see people. You're not allowed to do anything. And so that really impacted what we were able to do. But what we noticed was immediately, so many webinars, so much online stuff, and we just did not want to add to the noise. We were very cognizant that we wanted to sit back a little bit, but then also help promote and connect the people who were closest to us. So within our network, we every day, we did something called hashtag NYCHBL leaders, and we would profile a company or individual every day and talk about what they were doing, right? And it was really inspiring how much effort people put into changing or adding to their offering, giving it away for free. There was one company that literally stopped making what they were making and changed to making respirators. So it was really inspiring and we did that for a while. Then, you know, in May or late May, we decided we were we were going to start talking about what Covid's impact would be to New York City as you know over the next six to twelve months as things started to wind down. And so part of that we uh, is we do this annual report on healthcare innovation, and what we thought we would do is an interim, a mid year report on COVID and COVID's impact, particularly on the digital health sector, which, you know, New York is, if it's not number one, it's a very close number two to San Francisco. We fielded a survey, primary research, and we're going to publish that. It's going to come out right after Labor Day. But I've seen some of the advanced results. And New York is going to change very, very much. You know, I, I sit here in Late July, and I remember in May thinking, okay, in September, things will probably be back to normal. You know, last, let's say March through May, I actually taught a class at Columbia and I taught it online, but I figured, yeah, we'll be back in September. We're not. I mean, Columbia, many schools will have a hybrid model. My son, he's in high school, he'll have a quarter hybrid model. He only gets to go one day a week things are not gonna return to what we considered normal soon or maybe ever. The fact that people, many people are able to work from home has really shown leaders that they don't necessarily need office space. And that yes, human connection is important and people will find ways to do it, but many people are not gonna go back to having full offices. I absolutely can tell you that. People are investing in a lot more collaboration tools, you know slats like a star. and then, from the medical perspective, the past four months, people say more changed in two weeks than in ten years because a lot of regulations changed virtually overnight. that you know the telehealth community had been advocating for years about where you can, you know, where your location for receiving care or who can receive care, or even doctors being able to practice across state lines, that all changed. And so telehealth, as I say, was the breakout star of COVID 19. Really, it's virtual health where you don't have to always be seen in person. So that's going to be a big game changer. And it'll also be a game changer for health systems, right? How they, have to retrofit how they deliver care. As you know, more care is going to be, for years, we've been saying care has to go back into the home. But now, more than ever, you're going to see it, remote patient monitoring activities. So those are some of the things that I know are going to change. And people in the the industry are working on it for sure.
1: I'm curious, what are A couple of standout companies that you think our audience should be keeping a close tab on, especially given that our audience are mostly healthcare professionals and and providers or current or future things that may impact their day to day, whether they become doctors on these telehealth platforms or some other things that you're looking at.
0: So in New York, uh, there's a company called K Health, which I'm a big fan of. And they were very early in the symptom monitoring with AI but their CEO really doesn't come from healthcare. And oftentimes that's good, sometimes it's bad. In this case, it's good because he really looked at things in a very different way. Uh, They have relationships now with big payers and they did a lot during COVID. So I think that's, that's a really interesting company. On the behavioral health side, there are so many different companies that are starting. Um, I think behavioral health, again, something that we've talked about for so, so long, but now we're seeing a lot more money put into that um, area. One company that I've worked with a lot that I really like is able to. Um, New York is has a bunch of other companies. I think from a primary care, or actually from a physician perspective, another company is called Rubicon MD. And actually the CEO went to HBS, like
1: Yep, I know them. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, Gil
0: Otto. What they very, very interesting, you know, they help primary care doctors get specialty consults. And they're now providing a new offering around behavioral health. Where because there are so few clinicians really, whether it's psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, primary care doctors, as you know, get So they're the front line, right? And they often have to address these issues and they're not well-equipped. And so they've put together a new offering that addresses that, but that in general, I think that's a good company for people to look at. Then there's Nomad Health. Uh, Alexei Nazem is another, he's an MD, MBA. He helps clinicians with job changes. And so, right, with recruiting, so that's a really good company. There are a gazillion more. Pro tip, you can uh, look at our website, nychbl.com, and look for the 2020 New York City Healthcare Venture Capital Report. We have a lot of companies cited in there. And then after Labor Day, we're coming out with this special report on COVID. We'll have a bunch of companies in there too.
1: That's awesome. We definitely should look at that and maybe link to it because you know, I'm putting myself in the shoes of when I was a medical student at Hopkins where you want to be skating, as as Wayne Gretzky says, skating where the puck is headed as opposed to where it is. And I think a lot of our audience are currently in training programs to be dentists and doctors and nurses and PAs. And the types of work they'll be doing and the way they'll deliver that care is changing because of these companies like Nomad and like you know, Roe and hims and hers, which do telehealth, as you know. Um, so I think it's important for people who are interested in health, not just to innovate in health, but people who will be practicing and providing healthcare, to just understand where things are going so that they don't choose to go into specialties that may totally be, you know, automated away in 5, 10, 15 years. I know we're coming up in time. We've kept you a little longer than our scheduled time. But I was curious: Are there things I miss that that you wanted to be able to share with our audience? Things that you know we didn't get into your work leading the healthcare management program at Columbia, or, or anything else related to advice that you may give our audience of you know yeah. two million healthcare professionals and students. So,
0: I've said before, networking seems transactional, and often people are really nervous about it and they're scared of it because they feel like it's you know who's going to want to talk to me. Well, you know what? I may be very connected, but I have the same issue. I go into a room if I don't know somebody, I get that too. I'm like, why would they want to talk to me? And I get nervous. So, networking is about more than walking into a room. I mean, that's a skill that you can learn too. But simply connecting with somebody like, if you see an article where you think somebody might benefit and send it to them, that's connecting. If somebody comes to you with an issue and says, here's what I need, and I need to meet so-and-so or somebody like that, if you're the connector, you've done something really good. You've helped them, and that's networking. There are a lot of ways to develop your community, a lot of ways to build your network. Work is one of them, but don't, don't consider it just work. Everybody has multiple networks for people who have kids you're going to connect with the parents. They all, most of them work. And they you know, so people connect that way. It might be your church or synagogue. It might be your hobby if you're a runner. So think of it as, um, you know, a way to enrich yourself. And don't think of it as a chore because really, as we know, it's not what you know. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's what you know. And I hope more often it's what you know. But many times it's who you know and who you're friends with and who your colleagues are because they'll think of you. I was thinking the other day that people always say this person was the absolute best person for this job. Okay, that may be true, but there's no best person for any job. It was the person who in that coterie of, applicants and interviewees was the best of that pool. So remember that if you're not getting yourself out there and you're not connecting with people in whatever way you want to, you're doing a disservice to yourself and to your career.
1: That's great advice. And uh, again, something I hope that more current and future health professionals come to learn. Uh, The two takeaways I have from this conversation for them are to inform themselves of some of these innovative digital health companies that are going to change the practice of what, they're, what they'll are what they be doing in 5, 10, 15 years, or even sooner than that. And the second is, is that networking isn't a bad word. It isn't just for business school students. It's also for healthcare professionals. And the reason is, again, the amount of time you'll spend with your employer may change. You may go join like Nomad and decide to work at multiple places as a locum. The other aspect of it is, I think, more importantly than ever, it's important to form those connections and build a community because the act of community building and relationship building requires you to uh, find common ground with somebody, whether it's a hobby, as you said, or a place you worked or people you know, especially in this divisive and really stressful time we live in, being able to, f- to look for the good and find the common ground between each other is worth it in and of itself.
0: 100%.
1: Awesome, Bunny. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. I really appreciate your, uh, your advice and the backstory of the HBS and New York business leaders community.
0: Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure.
1: And so with that, I'm Shibri Thanks for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help
0: raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels.